Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Hockey News on the E! podcast. I'm Jacob Stoller from the Hockey News alongside Justin Cohn from the Fort Wayne Journal Gazette. And for today's episode, we're going to be joined by Wichita Thunder head coach Bruce Ramsey. So he's the head coach for the Thunder. That's San Jose's ECHL affiliate. Bruce spent the last two decades coaching across almost every minor league under the sun, UHL, IHL, CHL, which is a central hockey league, ECHL, and some time in the AHL as well. Before that, Bruce suited up for just about every league I mentioned through the course of a near 15-year career playing Without further ado, Bruce Ramsey. Bruce, how are we doing? Not too bad. You make me sound old. I've been around. <laughs> Well-traveled okay. I mean, is what I'd say. If you want me to really make you sound old, I mean, I'll tell you what year I'm born, and then you'll have a heart attack maybe. Uh, yeah, I probably will. Uh, 1999, but, uh, you were finished up your career. Um, so how, how are things going? 30 years, 30 years ahead of me. Jeez. <laughs> Exactly. Uh, I, when I was born, they were landing on the moon. So that's how long ago it was. So. <laughs> but awesome. Uh, yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, Jacob stole a little bit of my thunder. I was going to break him this news that I've known Bruce longer than Jake's been alive. Wow. Okay. So <laughs> I was now you guys are making you feel young. Perfect. <laughs> well, I was thinking back a little bit. I don't know if, if Bruce even remembers this. So I had been covering hockey for two years. And this was my introduction to double A hockey was Fort Wayne was going to play a two game set in Asheville, North Carolina. And this was the season opener. This is United Hockey League. This is 1999. We get out there on a Thursday for a game Friday and Saturday. And they had just started making the ice like two days before the game. Do you remember this, Bruce? Yes, I do remember. <laughs> yes, I do remember. I do remember Asheville, beautiful city, a little different, but a beautiful city. <laughs> yeah. So we get out there and Jacob, like the game is Friday night and they started painting it. Uh, I believe it was Friday morning. And then, of course, the ice was not ready. And the solution was, let's just turn the cooler down. We'll just make it cooler. That'll fix everything. And so the players come out for warm up. And the ice is just like cracking beneath their feet. Oh, my God. So they ended up having to cancel the game after keeping everybody there for like five hours. And we all had to stay like an extra three days. So that was my indoctrination to double A hockey. I'm still here. And Bruce was there to experience it with me. <laughs> yes, yes, we were. Yes, that was the first year of the Fort Wayne Comets in the double A. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So uh, so Bruce, you know, to, to skip ahead a little bit to present times, um, you know, uh, this is the first season that the Wichita Thunder is affiliated with the San Jose Sharks. You had previously been affiliated with the Edmonton Oilers. You know, what goes into a change like that from a coach's perspective? I mean, I would imagine there's some level of perhaps, maybe I'm wrong, that you have to integrate some maybe different systems or philosophies. Um, you know, what does that change mean for you when you're coaching uh, now a different affiliate like this season? You know, I don't, I don't change very much. Um, you know, I, I'm going to keep doing uh my systems and, um, you know, my persona and the way I coach, um, I'm a player's coach. I, I believe I treat the players the right way. I expect a lot, but uh, I also give a lot and try to earn their trust. I think that's really important. Um, so, 
you know, we didn't have really a whole lot of help from the Edmonton Oilers over the years. Uh, Fort Wayne uh, might be a little more blessed than we were. I'm not sure what Justin would know more about that than I do. But, uh, you know, overall, it's uh, it's been been a good relationship so far. Um, you know, we've had a few issues just with injuries and stuff like that. But the players that they have sent down have been here for most of the year. And, um, you know, I've gotten better and better as time goes on. And uh, you know, we've been blessed to have Strauss Mann here for uh, – a few occasions and he's done really well and uh yeah no it's been it's positive it's uh you know you always want it to be a two-way street where both teams are helping each other and for the most part this has been that way well that kind of leads me into my next question i was going to ask about goalies you, you mentioned strauss Mand. i know you had zachary Eamond at one point um you also have one of your guys in evan Beitenheis. um and i know he's played most of the game so my question is how do you balance that you know like when you have an NHL guy like Strauss Mann down with you guys, and you still have Evan there. Um, it's got to be tough to juggle, you know, what the affiliate wants, when to play who. I mean, is there a lot that goes into a decision like that? You know, um, I'm sorry. My dog just jumped up. This is Molson. Guys, everybody say hi. <laughs> uh, he's named after a Canadian beer, I know. But uh, uh, no, you know what? Evgeny um, Nabokov is the goalie coach for the San Jose Sharks and, and the San Jose Barracudas. And, uh, you know, we have good, <laughs> good chatter about, you know, what his expectations are. And, you know, we talk with Strauss is getting set down. He has kind of a, an idea of the, you know, the games he wants to play. So uh, we definitely work with them. And, uh, you know, Strauss is, it's a pretty easy decision, even though Evan Beitenheis is an outstanding goalie. Uh, you know, Strauss has also been very, very good for us, especially. And uh, when he comes down, if he wants to play and he's ready to play, he gets that nice time. Two of the guys you've had on your team that are on NHL contracts, Timur Ibrahimov and Dylan Hamilik, uh, have spent time at the club. How have they been progressing? What have you seen from their development this year? Yeah, uh, well, Dylan has been uh, he's been injured for the most part since he's been here. He's actually back up at San Jose getting looked at. Um, you know, he's had some lower body and <laughs> lower body issues, so he he really only played three or four games. That is. Uh, full, complete level. And when he did play, when he was 100%, he was outstanding. Uh, you look at his numbers, he had five goals in five games or something. So, uh, you know, I wish I could have him for every game for the whole year. Uh, but, uh, you know, injuries do happen, and uh, they're working through some uh, complications trying to get him back to uh, to 100%. Timur Ibrahimov has been here the whole season. Um, has improved immensely from the start of the year. Uh, when he first flew in here, he could barely speak English. I uh, was very shy, very quiet, and uh, now I have a hard time keeping him quiet. <laughs> uh, he's really blended in the locker room, has learned English really well, and um, his play on the ice has uh, increased tenfold. Um, you know, he, he's a very valuable asset to our organization. He kills penalties on the power play, uh, works hard. Just like good instance, he last night one of our players got ran, and uh, he stood up for him and, and actually fought the guy. So um, he's bought bought into uh you know what we're doing here and uh he's been a real pleasant surprise because you know sometimes you get players you don't know what you're getting but um you know he's he's been a big plus and a huge addition for us i think over the years there's been a lot more european <laughs> players that are in the echl than maybe in years past where maybe they would bolt to overseas once they were signed there whatnot what have you seen from the league as an evolution as a development league that will keep a ibrahimov or someone like that over on the side of the pond 
Yeah, we have a hard enough time just trying to keep North Americans here. <laughs> it's pretty hard to compete with uh, with the teams in Europe, especially the higher echelon ones. And especially at this time of year, it's kind of a nightmare because they're looking to beef up for the playoffs. And, you know, we just can't compete financially with what they can offer. But, um, you know, that you just look at the ECHL and what it's done. Um, so many players, I, I'm not sure what the number is, but I know it's probably around six or 700 players that have played in the East Coast Hockey League are now playing in the NHL. And, uh, you know, sometimes there's a lot of late bloomers out there that just need a little bit of time and, you know, ice time. It's it's tough when you're in the American Hockey League. I coached there for three years. And, you know, if you're on the fourth line and you're playing six or seven minutes a game, um, you know, you're not really improving. You're going to improve in practice maybe, but you need that game situation to, uh, you know, get that quality, those quality reps on the ice to, uh, to become a better player and, you know, to be able to come down and play 20, you know, plus minutes a game and play in all – key situations um, I think is beneficial and, and a huge impact on, you know, their confidence and, you know, what where they can go forward. So I, I believe a lot of European players are seeing that. And, you know, a lot of these European players, uh, Timur excluded, have, have already played in North America, uh, whether it's junior or, or other areas. So, you know, they probably kind of like the lifestyle and, and what's going on here. Obviously, the world uh, could be a turbulent place, but, uh, you know, North America is a pretty great place to play hockey, I'd like to say. So what's the level of contact you have with San Jose? And, and also, second to that, are, are you contracted by the Sharks or, or by the Thunder? Like, how does that work? No, I'm uh, I'm contracted by the Wichita Thunder. So, uh, so, that ha- so how, what's your point of contact with San Jose? Like, how does that work? Uh, I deal with Joe Will and uh, the head coach, John McCarthy. And, uh, you know, we reach out reach out to the, each other as, as much as possible, especially on key, uh, key situations. So, uh, you know, when... Uh, they kind of let me do my thing here with the players that I have. So that's, that's been great. And uh, they don't come in and tell me what systems to run or anything else like that. They give me some free reign uh, when it comes to coaching and being the GM of the team and taking care of the players. So, um, you know, the biggest thing for me is to make sure that when they get that opportunity to go up, that they're ready to play and, and jump in the lineup, their lineup and, uh, you know, uh, make key, key <coughs> contributions when the time's needed. You know how I know Bruce is a good coach because that was like the most well-behaved dog I've ever seen. I mean, I hopefully I did. Hopefully I didn't jinx it, but I mean that dog was just staring at you like you were doing a chalk talk. I mean that was that was impressive. I just wanted to say. Yeah, that. he's he's well he's well coached as well. I <laughs> uh, wanted to ask you about a couple of the AHL guys. Um, you know, you uh, Mike Lewiski is one. Uh, six goals, nine points, forty-three games, and a guy I like, Dylan McPherson, who I believe is on an Abbotsford contract. Uh, seven yes. goals, 19 points, plus 11 in just, I believe, 14 games. Um, can you talk a little bit about those two guys and what they brought to the lineup for you? Yeah, you know, Mark Lewiski is a really young kid. He's fresh on a major junior. Um, you know, when he first got here, people underestimate these close hockey and how really good it actually is. They find out pretty quickly when they step on the ice and you start playing against other teams and you you know, you see the speed and the skill that's out there. And, and not just that, the toughness too, it, you know, it can – it uh, algamates all all attributes that you need to be a really good hockey player. And, you know, Mark has gotten better and better as the season's gone on. Uh, maybe his points and his stats don't show his contributions to the team. But, you know, for the last three or four games, he's let our team in hits. He's fought. He stood up for his teammates. Uh, you know, he, he's going to be a player that needs to find his role at the higher levels. And, uh, you know, I don't see right now, but maybe in the future as a power play guy or a penalty kill guy. But he's definitely... Uh, very valuable to us is uh, you know that role player that goes out and finishes all his hits and 
and competes and works hard and uh, does all those little things that you need in order to be successful. So, um, yeah, he's getting better and better. He's 21 years old and 20, maybe 22 now. I'm not sure, but, um, you know, I, I foresee him, uh, you know, having a bright future as well. Uh, Dylan McPherson, yeah, um, didn't take me long. I named him my captain um, probably about three weeks into the season. He's been a captain before. He's only 24 years old. He's having a career for himself offensively, but, um, you know, the little things he does defensively, his work ethic, his compete level, um, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to beat. And, you know, he's just been a huge plus for us. Um, you know, uh, every game he, he shows up to play and uh, plays 25, 26 minutes a game. And, you know, I can't say enough positive things about him as well. Not that the situation is unique to you guys, but um, Dylan being on a, an Abbotsford contract, so, a, you know, a different organization, does that present any challenges? I mean, I would imagine in some team situations, maybe they're running all the NHL team systems and then you bring in this guy and these are, there are another team systems. I mean, is it, is it different at all when that happens? No, it's, it, you know what? I haven't heard too much from them. Um, uh, he's got called up once early in the year and, you know, for the most part, he's been here all season. So, um, you know, when it comes to systems and stuff, he just sticks with what we do. And, um, yeah, it hasn't been much of an issue at all. <laughs> yeah. How do you kill time on long bus rides? I know that NHL and AHL coaches will do some sort of prep work um, on plane rides, but with a bus, I mean, maybe it's just me. I get car sick like crazy. I don't know how much uh, work or film you can, can do on that span, but how do you pass time on the bus? And if you do do some prep, what do you do? Yeah, you know, I, I do a lot of video. I, I do specialty teams before every game, power play, penalty kill. We do five on five in the morning. So obviously I want to be prepared for that. And we do have some long bus trips, but, uh, you know, I, I'm a big reader. Um, I got Audible books going. I got Kindle books going. So uh, that definitely helps me pass the time and uh, drowns out the noise of the boys in the back of the bus. And, uh, uh, yeah, and, uh, and all the snoring that's going on for the ice sleeping. So, uh, but, uh, you know, uh, our, our schedule actually has been pretty good this year. We've only had a couple long bus trips. We fly to Boise, Idaho, and we fly to Utah. So, uh, but we do have a couple zingers coming up here that are going to be fun. <laughs> what do you, what are you been reading these days? Uh, yeah, kind of mixture. I like history and uh, I do a lot of fantasy. Um, you know, um, what, what books I was just reading? Uh, oh, you know, I liked, um, uh, the series of, uh, Let's see, Robert Jordan, uh, Wheel of Time. I've read all those books. I don't know, the list goes on. I read a lot. I I go from one series to the next, and uh, it keeps my mind occupied. A lot of times you just got to keep your mind off this this game sometimes or it overwhelms you. So, um, But uh, yeah, I love my books, that's for sure. It's funny because Jacob asked you about <laughs> riding the bus. I actually rode the bus with the Comets once when Bruce was on the team, and this was – I think that might have been you know, that same season, uh, like yeah, 2000. But, but there were no sleeper buses then, right? Like everybody was just sitting upright for 18 hours. Like it's it's got to be a lot easier now than it was when you were playing, right? Yeah, I don't know how we did it. I, I couldn't survive those trips anymore <laughs> at my age with my back. But, uh, you know, we have sleepers now. So, you know, the guys can watch TV. Uh, they play a lot of cards. Um, you know, they, they talk a lot about uh, – about things that I uh, probably don't want to hear about. So, but, uh, you know, it's all good. Uh, I like those bus trips. I uh, don't want to have too many of them, but they definitely bond the team together uh, in a good way. Well, Jacob, you may not know this, but Bruce was was a, a, a legitimate tough guy in his playing days. Actually was the United Hockey League's all-time penalty leader, if my memory serves. So as, as a guy who played a, a tough physical brand of hockey, um, 
you know, when you put your coaching hat on, and I know you've been coaching for a lot of years, was it hard to put that that element of the game or that element of your mentality aside as now you probably want some some cooler heads from some of your players? Oh, oh definitely. Well, it didn't take me long when guys started fighting and then injuries started piling up. And as a coach, you're losing valuable players because they're fighting. It's uh, gets to a point where you're like, okay, I don't want you fighting anymore because I need you playing. So uh, you don't realize that, but, you know, uh, it seems like I've had some bad luck that way over the years where where a player fights and next thing you know, he's out for four or five games or, or longer. So, um, yeah, you know, there's definitely a, a, that's a huge, still a huge part of the game. Um, you know, we had a fight last night for standing up for each other and protecting your players and setting a tone. I think it's, uh, it's very valuable, but uh, yeah, you know, you're always, you uh, under your breath going, please, please don't get hurt whenever I see guys dropping the gloves. Because, you know, at this level, you have a limited lineup and a limited roster. And uh, it's hard to replace good players. And, you know, I'm dealing with that right now because my roster is pretty thin. And, you know, I'm searching the SBHL to find that next magic guy. But it usually doesn't happen. So we'll, uh, uh, you know, definitely don't want to lose guys to unnecessary injuries if I don't have to. But in a general sense, like you still think fighting has some importance in the game, at least. Yes, yes, I do. I think it still has a huge part of it. And, um, you know, I used to fight probably 30 plus times a year. And um, I would have been suspended the whole season if I played in the East Coast Hockey League nowadays, because I think you're only allowed 10 games before you start getting suspended. So, uh, you know, that's definitely limited it. But, um, you know, it's it's a big lift on the bench and it's a big part of, uh, you know, the boys standing up for each other and, building camaraderie uh, throughout your team is knowing that each other, every player has each other's backs, no matter what happens, no matter who it is. All right. Well, Bruce, thank you so much for coming and joining us. We really appreciate it. And you know, if, if you were my coach, I bet you my parents would be very happy because that dog is very well trained. <laughs> All right. Thanks guys. It was great to be on. I appreciate you. Absolutely. Take care. You bet. Bye-bye. Thanks again to Bruce for coming on the show. Just Justin, even fill me in a bit. So how how did you meet Bruce? Was it when he was playing for Fort Wayne? Yeah, I mean, it, it feels so long ago, but he was the player assistant coach, right? In nineteen ninety nine two thousand, which was the first year I covered Double A. Like I had been covering the old IHL, which was right below the NHL and competing with the AHL, and then moved down to that level. And Dave Allison was the head coach who had coached the Ottawa Senators. Uh, I believe he might have been their first coach. Uh, I'm getting vague on that one. Uh, so he was a player assistant because he had known uh, Dave Allison forever. And this is a different era. I mean, Bruce mm -hmm. fought all the time and was not even their biggest fighter, um, but was a really gritty player and then got into coaching. And he, you know, he was kind of connected with Guys like uh, Todd Nelson and Jeff Nelson and coached in places like Muskegon and Port Huron and uh, assistant in the AHL. So he's been to a lot of places. Tulsa, uh, I, I meant to ask him, he actually coached a team called the St. Pete Parrots. Uh, I think that was his first head coaching job, but uh, really nice guy. And, um, you know, just just brings me back to riding the bus with that team during a playoff series. As a reporter, there was just so many funny stories. And they were not waiting for Justin to file his stories. I'll tell you that. They were like, let's go. We're getting back to Fort Wayne. We don't care whether you're ready. You're either coming or you're not. And there was just a lot of funny stuff from that. How did that get arranged that you were on the team? But like, was that a matter of the paper saying to the team, 
we've got a writer. Let's can you come on the bus or like how did that? I know it's a different era, no a different time. I'm just curious. Well, yeah, well, no, I wanted to do a story about what it was really like on the bus. Oh, so cool. they had a weird wackadoodle playoff format that year. I believe it was a maybe a best of three. And so we had to go to Asheville, I think, for just one, maybe two games. Um, but no sleeper buses. So what I remember is I was sitting there. Nobody wanted to sit anywhere near the reporter. So Bruce was across the aisle next to me. I was behind a guy named Dan Ronan, who was studying for his law school, like his LSAT, which was a funny thing. Um, but I do, this may sound dumb or it might be funny, but I remember we stopped at a truck stop on the way back, like in Tennessee. And for whatever reason, they had this rack of uh, hats, like baseball caps. And we're just looking through it. And there were like teams that Bruce Ramsey had played for. So I, the one I remember was the San Antonio Dragons. He's like looking at this thing like, I can't believe they have this at a truck stop in Tennessee. I played for this team, you know, 10 years ago. And I could see he was eyeing it. So I bought him that hat. And I think I gave it to him like at the end of the trip. And it used to be a joke. Like I would run into him, like he'd be coaching in Port Huron. He'd be, look, look there. And like behind his desk would be like the, the San Antonio Dragons hat. But, you know, we touched on it. So different now. These guys get to sleep. They get to watch TV. They got <laughs> internet. I mean, and they still complain about it. And I don't blame them for complaining about it. But I saw it when it was a little bit rougher than it is now. Absolutely. Let's get back to the present day, though, where, as you said, there's more Wi-Fi, more sleeping, be better amenities all around. This week, our prospect of the week is Pascal LaBerge of the Kansas City Mavericks, 24-year-old center. He was actually a second-round pick of the Flyers in 2016. He's under contract with the Coachella Valley Firebirds of the AHL. He's Kansas City's leading scorer. He's got 43 points in 41 games. That's tied for 12th in league scoring um, as well. What's the 4-1 on, on, on LaBerge? I mean, look, I, I, it's hard to separate sort of what you know, which was he was a really high draft pick. Yeah. And what you're seeing, you know, him do in the ECHL. Like when I watch him, I'm like, this is a really good player. Like right. sort of like, what's he doing down here? And then you kind of go into the backstory and you're like, oh, OK, well, maybe there's something we don't know. But, you know, look, I like to judge guys on what they're doing now. This is still a pretty young player, 24 years old. I still feel like he's got upside. Um, you know, he's not really big. He's six foot one, one ninety-two, but he plays bigger than that size would imply. So he's been on a tear lately. And, you know, he just does a lot of different things. He's got a really nice shot. He's got deceptive speed. But what I really like is he makes some really nifty passes. So, you know, he had a game last week. I think it was uh, a goal, three assists. Watched a lot of that game. And, you know, he was setting up goals in all sorts of ways. There was one where he's chipping it just to a guy rushing up. Uh, it was a play at the offensive blue line. So he established the zone, then chipped it to a teammate. Bang, goal. Then later in the period, he's on the other side of the ice. He's down low. Backhand pass. Bang, goal. Then there's another where he has a breakaway goal. So he's doing it in a lot of different ways. And you can absolutely see the potential of how this guy was a high draft pick. And, you know, I know I'm giving you a long-winded answer, but if you look back, I mean, he got picked um, in 2016, 16. right, 2016. So the next season, 
He suffered what was a really predatory hit by Zach Malatesta. That's a guy that we've also seen in the UCHL now. That left LaBerge unconscious. Um, This is QMJHL play. Malatesta got suspended, I believe it was seven games. So if you look back at the reporting of the time, and it sort of makes some sense, he suffered a really bad injury and might have been a little kind of gun shy for a while because the things that he was doing well, which was scoring, which was being a hard-nosed player in the corners, Mm positions where you can be in a vulnerable position. So my interpretation is that that affected him for a little while. But this isn't to say that he was not a good player after that. Was a very good player. Just never quite realized that potential of when he was a second-round pick of the Flyers. I mean, I, how can you blame the guy? The guy? I don't know how you're not timid after a big concussion like that. But with that said, as you mentioned, still a younger player getting some momentum because the last two years – where he's been a, a top-tier player in the ECHL, you have to think he'd, he'd be the first guy out for Coachella Valley, right? Like last year, he got recalled and you know played a game the year before as well. He's kind of always been that, that bubble guy. I would assume it's the same for Coachella Valley. Yeah, I mean, one thing to note, though, Coachella Valley is really good, and it's really deep. So you know, A lot of it, veterans. Yeah, 37-4. and four. It has the AHL's number one offense with 3.73 goals per game. So... It's tough to crack that lineup if you are an offensive-minded player. Uh, but I agree with you. He has to be on their radar. If you look at LaBerge's um, last five games, he's got four goals, 11 points, and is plus six. And this is a team that can be a mixed bag when it comes to defense. Uh, but he does a lot of good things on the power play. He's got four goals, 12 points on power plays. So I absolutely see an opportunity if there's some injuries, there's some call-ups, who knows what happens after the trade deadline, all kinds of situations that you could see. But it is surprising to me that he hasn't seen much of a look this year uh, on the first year of a deal with Coachella Valley. But I just don't think there's a spot for him right now. He's definitely a prime Europe candidate. I'm sure someone's going to give him a pretty fat offer after this year. But how is Kansas City doing this year, by the way, like just as a whole? Well, you know, we've talked about the Mountain Division and it is very good. So they're a fourth place team in a very good division. Uh, I, I think their momentum is not great right now. They're 3-6-1 and one in their last 10, 10 games. But I saw some things last week. They had a big win against the Indy Fuel. The Indy Fuel, very good team this year. So I thought that was an impressive win. They had a big game with uh, Wichita. Uh, Kansas City, you know, this I think speaks volumes about what LaBerge could do because offensively, Kansas City is only middle of the road. They're 16th in the league. They only average. goals per game, even on the power play. They're really just a middle road team. So for him to put up these offensive numbers without necessarily having all that much help, I think speaks volumes uh, to what he's been able to do. Uh, The Mavericks have no players right now on NHL contracts, but they do have a bunch on AHL deals at all sorts of positions. Callum Booth, Jake McLaughlin, Luke Stevens, Tristan Mullen, Jeremy McKenna, who's a player I really like. He's, I believe, uh, uh, the leading goal scorer for that team. They have Nick uh, Pasajov and Hugo Roy is also a very uh, underrated skilled player. So there is a lot of talent there. I could see Kansas City being uh, a factor, you know, in a tough division. If they can hold on to playoff position in a a tough division, they could be a team that's really battle tested. uh, But they're going to need to, you know, hang on to a lot of these AHL guys down the stretch if they can. I would think that LaBerge will still be there because Coachella Valley called up Mullen. When they need someone who makes more sense, he's more of a, a bottom six kind of guy. So with that said, looks like Lippers could be there for the stretch run for a potential playoff run. That's big for them. 
Let's now go to Coast to Coast, Justin Cohn's news, notes, and quotes. Justin, take it away, man. Well, I feel like I should start uh, in my backyard with Rylan Peranto, who had kind of a ridiculous save for the Comets in their sixth straight win last week. Um, how do you describe it? We describe it as the Scorpion. He is facing Tyler Bush of the uh, Iowa Heartlanders. Bush is about 15 feet out, point blank range. And Peranto dives forward. And as the puck is sailing over his head and his back, he kicks his legs up and basically propels the puck back at Tyler Bush. Number one play of the day on SportsCenter. It's getting a lot of love on a lot of different platforms. Uh, but some interesting things to note about Peranto. This is Fort Wayne's number two goalie. Uh, he actually was one of those guys that was booted to the curb by the Toledo Walleye this season because they had Sebastian Cosa and company. Uh, so Peranto has looked really good uh, with Fort Wayne, even with Ryan Fanti down in Oilers Prospect. And Peranto today, right before we recorded this episode, gets called up to Abbotsford of the AHL. So a situation where a backup goalie gets called up to another AHL affiliate. And, you know, we're, as we record this kind of on the eve of the trade deadline, I've seen some conjecture, you know, does this mean Vancouver's doing something and they needed a guy like Peranto? But the point here is you make a big save in a big spot. And this was a big spot, two to one game. They were on the penalty kill. It can get you noticed. And he is quickly called up to Abbotsford. So wanted to start there. And um, we mentioned Sebastian Kosa. Interesting things going on in the net in Toledo where John Letheman, who is on AHL deal with uh, Grand Rapids, has really looked good. He has won seven straight starts. He is now 11-1-3 for the walleye, as Kosa has kind of been a mixed bag. And maybe you have an opinion on this, Jacob. I was reading uh, some uh, analysis of Kosa in The Athletic, and one thing they said was that he's got a lot of work to do, which I agree with. He has been very inconsistent. But they made the comment that the ECHL is notoriously hard on goalies. And I have been thinking about that comment since I read it three days ago. Probably is. I, I, I feel like, yeah, I could see how people would say that. Well, but... okay, okay. Without having read that, mm -hmm. let me say what I would. You're talking about Scott Wheeler's prospect rankings, right? Yes, yes. Okay, so what I would think Scott means is because of the chaos of the league, that could be difficult. Like, you know how you read up people say they go from the NHL, sorry, the AHL to the NHL or ECHL to AHL, and it's easier because not as chaotic. Like, it's more like it's easier in the sense of, like, there's not as many mistakes and certain things like that. Whereas in a level below, there's more chaos. And I feel like if you're someone like Kosa, you've played junior where you've dominated, and these are all skilled and, and the best players your age, right? And then you go to a league of men, that are two notches below the NHL, more physical, like big and physical, and they're just sloppier than the AHL or NHL per se. It's probably a lot of, probably a war zone in front of the net. That's what I would think initially. What do you think? Well, I think you're looking at probably from a different perspective than I am, and yours is certainly fair. Um, I mean, if the discussion is, you know, would a player like Kosa be better served to still be in juniors versus the ECHL? Okay, you can make that argument. That's but my argument, yeah. Is it more difficult or harder on a goalie than if he were in the AHL is my interpretation uh, of it. Okay, I see what you're saying now. Because, and I can argue it a lot of different ways. I mean, yeah, but you're on to something. You're in the ECHL. You're probably, you could be playing three and three nights. You're right, you know, there's going to be defensive lapses. You could be... Uh, Kosa, part of Kosa's issues 
is that Toledo's defense for much of the season was terrible. Right. So he wasn't getting the help. But one could argue he's also not facing the quality offenses or the quality shooters. So right. uh, I, I think I tend to lean toward what Wheeler and the Athletic is saying is true, that it can be notoriously difficult on goalies. But I'm also not sure that I think it's situational. You know, well, what's your hesitancy? Is it are you saying more so you don't want to blink a tournament to be in general because of what you're saying with like Toledo defense, for example? Because I think it implies that you're you're doing a a, a, disservice. a, a disservice to a goalie ah. prospect, and there is a mountain of evidence that goalies have have ascended from the ECHL to the NHL, even yeah. older goalies. The thing is, they're older, but uh, you know, oh, I, yeah, but Justin. You're right, but how many have gone from at 20 years old? Not that's, a lot, but that's... but that's probably the argument. I bet you I would say that the counter to that would be DCHL is a good place for goalies, but most of the time they're going from, say, NCAA to the, to the ECHL or they're, they're, they usually don't have junior eligibility, if ever. I'm not going to make an outlandish statement without knowing, but this doesn't really happen usually. So I feel like when you're comparing it to junior or the AHL or whatever for in this circumstantial situation, it might be a hard thing for him, but I, I get what you're saying. Maybe it's not like notoriously bad for goalies in general, but I would also say, you know, to your point, um, we're going back and forth here to your well, point. No, your we, point. we could go on this forever. So, yeah, so yeah. the last thing I will say on it is no, I would, I think there haven't necessarily been enough opportunities. Like, Teams have been hesitant, and maybe it's because they perceive the ECHL totally. hard, to put their big goalie prospects down here. But right. it's not unlike anything else where we sit down here at this level and say, well, why do you have a guy playing one out of every three games in the AHL? Oh, when for you, sure. You could get him the work down here. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I don't know. Uh, the point is, it's interesting because I hadn't necessarily thought of it a lot about – is it notoriously hard on goalies? And now I am thinking about it, and Kosa is the perfect example for this. But I do think the argument is, if you don't think he's ready for the ECHL, then he should have been in juniors. I'd agree. That's the big thing. If this guy is really NHL level, it's not just him, anybody. If they're really a prospect, they should be able to handle this, even at age 2021. 20, now, right. maybe they didn't give him enough help. They should have given them better defensemen back there. I yeah. think you could absolutely argue that one. Um, but I think it's yeah. also two, it's a double edged sword. I'll just one last point. I swear, and if you like, it's fine. I love talking about this, it's a good point. But I guess the one problem is because we just talked to Bruce and in his situation, I know everyone's different, but he's got kind of free reign in terms, it seems like personnel wise, right? Okay, so yeah. you could say Grand Rapids should have signed some AHL guys for you know to, to be in Toledo, some, some AHL contracts put them down there. This decision on COSA for sure happened after free agency, right? So then it comes down to, all right, you're going to bring more guys or whatever. I think the window's so narrow to plan for it that it's kind of tough. And I think the problem here is, okay, the debate probably ends and starts and ends with, should they have turned him pro? Not so much, was the ECHL the right point? Because I agree with you. Like, there's no, if he can't, keep up there. I don't know how he's supposed to be in the AHL. I fully agree with that. Easier or not, or whatever. I completely agree with that mindset. But the ECHL is also getting a lot better over the years. So you're right. We haven't seen situations like this because there hasn't been any that have been possible. I'm going to make a comparison here that I can't believe I'm about to make. Oh, I, think it, I think it's kind of brilliant. But look, if you're in baseball 
and you have a first round pick yeah. as, a, as a pitcher and you send him to single A Fort Wayne, you're making very sure that you have a catcher there that you trust, it's that you want with him there. I agree. Okay? This is his guy. I mean, I do see them get called up together all the time. This is his guy. So I don't think it's crazy to say <laughs> Detroit Red Wings, Grand Rapids, if we're sending Costa there, we want to make sure he's surrounded by some guys and we are going to beef up your defensive core like you wouldn't believe. I, yeah. I don't see it too often, but I think there's something to be said because you're right. You know, this is kind of a relatively new situation where you have uh, uh, you know, a highly talented goalie like that in the ECHL kind totally. of for the duration like this. But I, I don't know. Now, you know, that's what I would have done. I would have made sure he had the, the tools around him so he doesn't get hung out to dry like he has a few times. But again, Toledo has really turned it around. They've been one of the best teams in the league lately. Coast has been a part of that. So I don't want to say that they're still a mess because they are not. They Disregard really what changed. we just said, everyone. Yeah. But, but John Leatherman has been outplaying yeah. him. I, I think that is really fair to say. So the AHL contracted guy outplaying the NHL contracted guy. But that's a good conversation there. Um, so February 15th is the overseas deadline for the ECHL. March 16th is a trade deadline. Just quickly here, what is the overseas deadline for the ECHL? Well, it's very relevant because that's the last time you can get players coming back from Europe so that they can still mm. play in the league. So every year there are a bunch of guys that, or at least big names that people speculate on. So, sure. it, you know, like it's just, it's a big way to improve your team because you get those high level guys coming back or, you know, there's always guys unhappy over there. And we're also, you also see, the the inverse like we've seen a lot of big players in the last couple weeks leave the states to go to europe so in fort wayne josh winquist was a great example maybe their best offensive player up and decides to go to sweden uh with very little notice and that really dealt them a blow and that we've seen that with toledo cole fraser did that um so it's a very important date i argue probably way more important than the trade deadline itself because we don't necessarily see a lot of those huge deals but that European deadline is something that fans have become very attuned to. Last thing before we wrap here, tell us about what's happening in Tra Riviere. Yeah, so you know, I it's a it's a team to watch right now because you know, still a young team, same ownership group as Newfoundland and also as Iowa, and they're not doing great on the ice. Attendance is dropping, players have left. Matthew Brodeur recently retired. Uh, early in the season, their coach, Eric Belanger, he left the team to go coach juniors in the queue. So you've got Marc-Andre Bergeron, who's the VP of GM, who is coaching the team. The whole thing here, the point is, it's a situation we need to watch because this was an area and a market that a lot of people were very excited about. And I don't think it's necessarily meeting the expectations. Now, absolutely 100% pandemic had a huge to do with that. But, um, you know, what they thought was going to be uh, the huge landing ma- place for the French Canadian players, it's now becoming a little bit more challenging. And they're not having the cohesive relationship with the LNAH that I thought. Instead, it seems to be almost a little combative. So it's something to watch, especially when you've got an owner that has three teams and two of those teams are seeing their attendance really drop. Uh, and that being Iowa and uh, trois Rivières. So certainly something to watch as we move forward. Absolutely. But let's uh, let's end it right there. We went a little bit 
I kind of I kind of hijacked your uh, your segment, Justin. I apologize. Thanks for including me though, because no, that's uh, what I want. I want you talking back to me on some of this stuff. You're pretty scary. I gotta say, as a co-host, you're pretty uh, intimidating, and uh, you've been hazing me a lot. So, I mean, thank you for including me for once. Um, completely sarcastic there. Anyways, thank you everyone for joining us, Bruce. Again, thank you so much. Hope to have another coach on soon. Maybe even Bruce another time. But for this week and for now, we're gonna stop it right there. So, thank you everyone for listening. We'll see you next time.